Kia ora, and welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast, where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything, and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. With me today is a very special visitor, the Secretary of State for Scotland, who has been with us here in New Zealand for five days now, Secretary of State of Scotland, David Mundell. Welcome. Thank you, Laura. It's been great uh, to be here. It's my first uh, visit uh, to New Zealand. Obviously, Scotland has very, very strong uh, connections with New Zealand, and it's uh, been really uh, enjoyable and, and very worthwhile to, to get to uh, know them and get to see them for myself. Can you tell me a bit about the role of Secretary of State for Scotland and how that works in the UK constitutional setup? Since the late 1990s, we've had a devolved settlement in Scotland. So Scotland has a Scottish Parliament and a Scottish Government that deal with a range of issues like health, education, transport. But we also are part of the United Kingdom, and indeed we voted to remain part of the United Kingdom back in a referendum in uh, 2014. So we have the UK government as well, which is performing certain important roles, things like defence, uh, foreign affairs, trade, international uh, development and, and macroeconomics. And my role as Secretary of State is, is principally not just to oversee those constitutional arrangements, which is quite an important part of the role, but it's also to make sure that within the Westminster government, the UK government, Scotland's voice is, is heard and issues and concerns uh, in relation to Scotland are very much part of government thinking. And then it's also to ensure that within Scotland, uh, people know uh, what the UK government's doing and uh, understand uh, its role and responsibilities in relation to Scotland. Before you were a member of Parliament in the Westminster system, you were a member of the Scottish Parliament, is that right? That's right. I'm one of a relatively small number of people who've served in both parliaments, and I'm very clear that the basis for that is that Scotland has two parliaments. They're both very important, but I've, since 2005, been a member of the Westminster Parliament, and now I'm in a unique position because... My son is a member of the Scottish Parliament and we're the first father and son ever to have served in, in that Scottish Parliament. Wow, amazing. It's a family business. It's a family business. <laughs> it's a dynasty, some people would <laughs> say. Dynasty. I don't quite see it that way. And, and what was it? Because I'm always interested in what takes people into a particular professional vocation. What was it that, that, that drove you to entering politics in the first place? I know it's very trite to say this, but I wanted to make a difference and initially you know that difference was in my own uh, local uh, community and uh, I was a local uh, councillor for example when I was in my early uh, 20s I, I didn't find that sustainable when I was wanted to have a job and then started a family but um, when the Scottish Parliament came along in 1990s I thought that it would be possible to um, have a relatively normal life and be able to play a part in the establishment of, of the Scottish Parliament and represent the, the local community uh, that I was from there. Uh, it wasn't didn't quite work out like that. I mean, obviously, I was very pleased to be elected, but uh, no Parliament, no matter how family-friendly the hours uh, is, 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 I think, can be characterised as a sort of normal way of life, and, it, you know, it becomes all... Uh, consuming. Uh, and then in 2005, I got the opportunity to stand 
uh, for Westminster and for the reasons I have given you that I think both parliaments are very important. Uh, I, I took that uh, opportunity and I, you know, I very much enjoy representing the area in which I was born, grew up uh, and still live. Yeah, and having that role that faces in both directions, very, very interesting. It, it is, and I think it's also important now, and I think this is something you pick up here in, in New Zealand as well. It is, I represent a very large rural area. In fact, I represent the largest constituency outside the highlands of Scotland uh, in the whole of the UK. And, you know, we live in a much, much more metropolitan uh, world nowadays, and I, I just think it's so important uh, that rural communities have a voice uh, in Parliament, in government. It would be quite good you talk about the connections between Scotland and New Zealand. Can you talk, first of all, a bit about what, what you've been doing, what your objectives have been for this, for this visit to New Zealand? It's obviously a very important and challenging time uh, in the UK at the moment. We're about uh, to leave the EU. In fact, we'll formally leave the EU at 11pm uh, on the 29th of March 2019. Uh, and we have to, uh, uh, when we do that, rather than be inward looking, we have to be outward looking and we want to establish new trading arrangements around the world. We want uh, to do that in, in, in new areas, but we also want, with old friends like New, Z new Zealand, we want to have deeper and stronger uh, relationships. And New Zealand's one of the first countries that we've identified uh, as uh, being one with which we would have uh, a new free trade agreement, and we've already announced that in our own uh, parliament. So part of my visit, I think I, I've described it as helping continue roll the pitch uh, for the beginning uh, of those negotiations. And it's also really to cement those uh, relationships between New Zealand and Scotland, and it's been great to have visits both to businesses and to uh, academic in institutions uh, where you know those links are very much alive but there's there's even more uh, that can be done to enhance them and um, when we saw David Parker the trade minister earlier this week um, he said told how talked of how he grew up in Dunedin and how he really wanted to celebrate the contribution that Scotland had made to to New Zealand and when you were in Dunedin did it feel did it feel somewhat familiar even though this is your first visit to New Zealand what I felt in Dunedin was was people's really strong uh, connection and affinity with uh, Scotland it was it was palpable that people felt that way. They knew the historic uh, basis on which uh, Dunedin uh, and the Otago uh, region uh, uh, had uh, seen Scots come uh, there, but they still felt that current affinity. There are a number of you know, a number of prominent Scots uh, there, for example, in, in, in the university, but uh, people feel a real uh, affinity and warmth uh, towards Scotland and obviously uh, there's a formal uh, relationship, a twinning relationship between Edinburgh and Dunedin. Now I want to do what I can uh, you know, to help further that, help build uh, on, uh, on that. Because they're both, they, they have very similar maps, don't, the, don't the, the, the town plans pretty much align to each other, Edinburgh and Dunedin, or is that an urban myth? Uh, well, certainly a lot of similar yeah. street names, uh, that's uh, for sure. I, I, I don't think uh, uh, that, that you could uh, mistake one for uh, the, the other, however. There's a, I think there's a, back in the UK, there's a famous 
experience where a picture of Birmingham, Alabama was produced to represent Birmingham, uh, uh, England. But uh, I think if you produced a picture of Dunedin, I think people would, would realise that it wasn't Edinburgh. But I, I think there is... I, I, I think that there's just a common, you know, there's a common spirit. I think that that is the thing that you would, uh, that you would recognise, and you would recognise the, uh, as I say, the, the, the sort of deep um, a connection that people uh, feel towards Scotland generally uh, and Edinburgh particular. And I, I, one of the things I did when I uh, was in Dunedin, I, w I went to Lockerbie Street. I uh, grew up in Lockerbie and Dumfrieshire. And uh, it was uh, it was great to see a street named after my home community, but uh, it didn't look anything like uh, uh, the Lockerbie I grew up in. No, absolutely. And and one of the things that we've been looking at this week is, of course, the um, some of the more modern connections. So obviously, the 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 relationship is built on the past and a shared past, but actually, there's a lot in terms of cooperation, looking to the future in terms of agritech, for example, and really looking for solutions that address the challenges facing both our countries in the UK and Scotland and in New Zealand. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I was fascinated to, to be able to visit Lincoln uh, University and, and see the, the, the work that they're uh, doing on the agri-tech front because it is very, very similar uh, and, you know, and they've already had a degree of collaboration with um, the, the Scottish uh, Rural University College uh, which uh, I, I think can be definitely built on, and that's about making agriculture more productive, more uh, environmentally friendly, bringing technology to bear in a way that ensures uh, that, that, that the outputs uh, are uh, maximised and uh, environmental damage minimised. And I think you know I, I felt that that was a really, uh, really positive uh, opportunity for development, but. You know something else in which there can be, you know, a less clear but obvious uh, connection was it, 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 it was what I think the highlight of my visit was to go to the Royal Albatross Centre uh, on the Otago Peninsula and uh, see the, the the chicks there. But knowing that what the United Kingdom is doing uh, through uh, our 25-year environment plan and other measures by reducing the amount of plastic that we put in the ocean at the other side of the world, you know, is something that can contribute to the survival uh, of those very chicks by there being just less plastic in the sea and we as the United Kingdom making sure that we've minimised uh, our uh, contribution to that. Uh, and, and, you know, so, th so there's, there's, there's obvious and direct connections, but there's also these, you know, less tangible but equally important connections uh, that we can have. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And on a um, on a more light-hearted note, of course, a very another very strong connection is the shared love of Scotch whisky. Absolutely, and it's uh, great to uh, learn that uh, New Zealand is one of the uh, leading countries in terms of enjoying malt whisky. Some places around the world, uh, they're they're into their blends, but here uh, in New Zealand, I think with a very knowledgeable. Uh, uh, audience and a very well-developed uh, palate, uh, they uh, clearly like their malts. And I've been interested, for example, to see some malts here. Sometimes brands aren't uh, sold in, in, in Scotland, they're sold internationally, or sometimes they're just very, um, you know, they're very niche. So it, it, I've uh, had the opportunity here to drink some whiskies uh, that I haven't had back 
uh, in Scotland. And uh, obviously, I very much enjoyed doing that. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Secretary of State for Scotland, David Mundell. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Laura. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. It helps others find us. And remember, you can also subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Podbean. Kakiti anō.